Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. This is Inside the Military Mind, addressing mental health and wellness for service members, veterans, and their families with your host, Wayne France. Brought to you by Family Care Center, offering behavioral health services for both children and adults and specializing in services for military families and veterans. Family Care Center, our family caring for your family. Now, here's Dwayne France. Hello, and welcome to Inside the Military Mind. My name is Dwayne France, and each week we'll be talking about mental health and wellness for the military-affiliated population. Coming up in today's segment, I'll be having a conversation with Dr. Charles Weber, a retired Army officer, psychiatrist, and founder of the Family Care Center. After that, I'll be sharing the Homefront Military Network Resource of the Week, CPCD, an organization that gives children a head start by preparing them for success in school and in life by providing comprehensive early childhood services. On the beginning segment of the show each week, I'd like to share some insights into the military mind. Today, I'd like to talk about something that may not seem to be an uncomfortable subject, but often is for those who served, being seen as somehow special or heroic. Get any three veterans who have deployed together in a room, and you're likely in for a lively conversation. Ask who is the strongest, who is the fastest, the smartest, and you'll probably get a variety of response. Often, each of them will say that they are the one. Ask which of them is the bravest, though, or the most heroic, and our three veterans will point at the other two, but not themselves. I personally will be the first to tell you that I'm no one special, that all I ever did in the military was take care of my soldiers, take care of my mission, and do the best that I could. Talk to any veteran about their time in combat, and you'll eventually get to the point where they say, well, as bad as I had it, at least I wasn't in blank. At least I wasn't in the Korangal. Talk to veterans who are in the Korangal, however, and they'll say, at least I wasn't in Ramadi. Veterans of Ramadi saying, at least I wasn't in Fallujah. Veterans of Fallujah saying, at least I wasn't in the invasion, and on and on with each veteran knowing that someone, somewhere, had it worse or did more than they did. Current era veterans point to the Vietnam days and say those guys had it rough. Vietnam guys point to Korea, back through American military history. The fact that someone else had it worse made it mean that the other vet was more of a hero than they were, were more worthy of honor and respect than they were. And in some cases, that might be true. In the 82nd Airborne Division, there's an annual event called All-American Week. It's a huge reunion of former members of the division, and there are events throughout the week. After a jump one day, a group of my soldiers and I were meeting with some former paratroopers, and one of the old gentlemen asked one of my soldiers, How many jumps do you have, son? My guy, as proud as an airborne soldier can be, puffs up his chest and says, Nine. The old paratrooper says, well, you sure have me beat. I only have three. Three? That's it? Yeah, just the three. Normandy, Holland, and Sicily. Now, Normandy, Holland, and Sicily are all drop zones on Fort Bragg, and many paratroopers are familiar with it. But it took my guy a minute to realize that he was talking about the Normandy, Holland, and Sicily, not just the drop zones. In my book, that old paratrooper is a hero, but I'm sure he doesn't think so. The fact is, simply serving in the military is a rare thing. In 2010, the U.S. Census indicated that there were 21.8 million veterans living in America. That same census counted 308.7 million Americans. That comes to approximately 
If we accept the definition of special in its adjective form as something that is better, greater, or otherwise different than the unusual, this statistic does fit that criteria. But even within me, I balk at the idea of describing myself as better or greater. When it comes to the real stuff, the important stuff, rarely will you get a veteran who has actually experienced combat describe themselves as a hero. It's not that they despise that designation. Each of them will tell you that they know the true heroes, but each will deny that they themselves deserve that designation. They'll talk about one of their buddies who saved their life. They'll talk about some squad leader who made a quick decision that resulted in success rather than failure. They will tell you that the true hero is the one that didn't make it back. Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist and an early leader in existential psychology. He was also a Holocaust survivor, spending three years at Auschwitz and Dachau. His widely read book, Man's Search for Meaning, shares the story of his experiences as a prisoner in Nazi concentration camps. In that book, he says something that I've heard from many veterans. We who have come back by the aid of many lucky chances or miracles, whatever one may choose to call them, we know the best of us did not return. When I read those words, I understood them in the most fundamental way that one can when someone puts into words the unspoken feeling inside of them. I once knew an NCO who had an opportunity to play an extra on the film We Were Soldiers. We didn't believe him until we all watched the movie and he paused it right at the scene where you could see his face. While they were filming the movie, Lieutenant General Hal Moore, the co-author of the book We Were Soldiers Once and Young, was on the set as an advisor. And they were filming the scene where Mel Gibson is speaking to the troops before they shipped off to Vietnam. As they were watching the speech and Gibson said, I will be the first to set foot on the field and I will be the last to step off and I will leave no one behind. Dead or alive, we will all come home together. My buddy said he looked over to Hal Moore and saw tears streaming down his face. Later, a group of them were listening to him talk, and Lieutenant General Moore said that those words affected him deeply because there were soldiers left behind. Not in that particular campaign, but in Vietnam. And as General Moore said, they were often the best of them. General Moore would claim that he's no hero. This is often why veterans feel discomfort when someone says, thank you for your service. They don't necessarily think that they did anything special to deserve thanks. They don't know how to respond. They don't see that their service was anything above or beyond what they were called to do, and the appreciation makes some of them uncomfortable. This is something that isn't often realized by those who haven't served and who are only trying to express their sincere thanks. But in the military, everyone around you serves. From that perspective, serving in the military is no big deal. Going back to All-American Week, in the 82nd Airborne Division, there's an event called the Vision Review. This is where each soldier joins 17,000 of their closest friends on a parade field and stand in formation until it's their time to march by the parade stand. When you're standing in the middle of a formation surrounded by 17,000 other paratroopers, it can be hard to see yourself as anything special or different. So I'm occasionally asked, if veterans don't like to be thanked for their service, how do I share my appreciation? Usually, it's by sharing a reason for that appreciation. If you have a family member who served, let the veteran know that. If there's time and you're familiar enough with the veteran, let them know that you'd like to hear more about their service, where did they serve, and things like that. Definitely avoid personal questions or direct questions about sensitive subjects, but it can be helpful to go a bit farther than just thank you for your service. If you're a veteran, I get it. No amount of convincing is going to make you feel like you did anything special. You're going to avoid claiming any service-connected disability because you think others deserve it more than I do. You're going to downplay your accomplishments because you didn't do what you did for the glory, and you certainly didn't do it for the pay. When anybody asks, you give them the old line, I was just doing my job. The truth is, although you may not be a hero and you may not be special, you have done some pretty heroic and special things. If you haven't served, maybe that'll be helpful to remember as well. So I'm glad to be able to share some of these insights. Agree? Disagree? It would be great to hear your thoughts. 
Share them with us by dropping an email to militarymind at fccsprings.com. Coming up on today's interview segment, I have a conversation with Dr. Charles Weber, founder of the Family Care Center. Dr. Weber is a board-certified psychiatrist and addictionologist and is the chief executive officer and chief medical officer of the Family Care Center. His primary focus for starting the Family Care Center was to assist the active-duty family members and veterans in our community. This mission is expanded to include caring for the entire Colorado Springs community. Dr. Weber enlisted in the Army as an infantryman in January of 1989. He subsequently was appointed to the United States Military Academy in 1995 before attending and graduating from Turo University College of Osteopathic Medical School in 2002. He gained more than 14 years of clinical and leadership experience in the Army before retiring in November of 2016. Dr. Weber opened Family Care Center in 2016 with the vision of providing a full range of outpatient mental health services to include individual and group therapies, medication management, and transcranial magnetic stimulation. Now, let's get into my conversation with Dr. Weber. So you served for over 25 years in the United States Army, retiring in 2016. You deployed to Iraq. You're a medical doctor. You're a board-certified psychiatrist. You're a veteran and the spouse of a veteran. How do you think that your military career has impacted the work that you do now as the founder of the Family Care Center? Well, I think that it's pivotal to why we even created the Family Care Center and why our mission is just so important. I mean, we cannot spend 25 years, uh, now 30 years of taking care of our military veterans, um, uh, the military active duty, their family members, and just kind of give up on them. This is a such a high risk and a high need area. You know, it's, it's really kind of been the bedrock of who we are as uh, an organization, as who we are personally, both uh, Dr. Rayanne and I, uh, this is, uh, these are our people. This is what we have to do. But that need is so great for our community. I mean, it's intertwined. So that military uh, organization, that military kind of focus, that, that might be our cultural competency, but I really do believe that we're going to bring our uh, a game to the whole community and that's why we're really kind of focusing on both adhering to our mission and our military family members and their vets but also to focus on our local community i mean because mental health uh, especially during this crisis that's going on right now it, it definitely is not uh, getting better if anything maybe that stigma is decreasing slightly so we're able to reach out and, and actually help more people and you've seen that over your career, right? You didn't start out, obviously, as a psychiatrist. I mean, you, you have a pretty interesting origin story from sort of where you got to, to where you were in the chief behavioral health. But you've seen that change over time. Oh, easily. Yeah. When I first enlisted uh, in 1989, uh, you know, I was I was uh, infantry then. So as, as being an infantryman, you definitely did not want to go to sick call. It was uh, the stigma was, was there not only for sick call. All you're allowed to have is vitamin M, right? Uh, Motrin. Uh, and so going to mental health, yeah, that was frowned upon um, beyond belief, you know, at that point. And then kind of seeing this as a progressing, not only going through West Point, but then also Medical Service Court, 101st, and then med school, and then a flight surgeon, and then psychiatry. I mean, that's uh, I've taken a very, uh, a very strange route to get to where I'm at. But we've seen this throughout the whole military, and as an organization, as a nation, as a community, yeah, that that stigma has has definitely changed. The one thing that has not is that personal stigma. Is what we have to overcome uh, inside of each of us, right? And so we all have those preconceived notions, and uh, you know what 
strength means, what weakness means, what mental illness means, and it's sometimes very, very confusing. And reinforced, of course, by one or two very key people um, in in your family, in your in your life, uh, could make a dramatic kind of impact. That's why, we, especially when I was active duty, I made sure that all of our providers always focused on the commander and the first sergeant, right? Or, you know, higher up. If you can get the battalion commander or the brigade commander, great. But definitely to have that combo of the, the senior officer and the senior NCO and their approach to mental illness, their approach to how are we going to get this soldier help, uh, it, it changes the whole atmosphere, not only for the soldier, but for the whole unit, right? It really is a huge command influence uh, for active duty members. And, and, and we carry that, right? I mean, the military is, uh, we, we're, we're great at uh, taking care of our mission, you know, fighting our nation's wars. Not so good at transition, not so good at, you know, uh, that we're honoring trying to take care of our vets but it's 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 difficult for us personally right to go through we we're not uh, handheld and it's not as easy as just going through basic training just be at the right place at the right time and, and you're okay not so when you're transitioning and so that transition is such a pivotal uh, point and both what we've done at the family care center and our our, our partner sister service uh, the Colorado Veterans Health and Wellness Agency as a nonprofit has, has tried to bridge that gap uh, ever so slightly and I think the the idea of that uh, personal stigma, right? There's there's some research out there that shows that we will apply stigma to ourselves before we'll apply it to others. Like, I want you to get help, but I'm not going to reach out and get help. Um, but then there's also that aspect of everybody around us. That also uh, plays a huge role in, in stigma and reaching out for help as well. Oh, e- easily. And, and I think that uh, we've all heard the joke where the, the mechanic's car is probably the worst car, right? I mean, it doesn't want to work on his own car so we love giving advice to other people but to, to kind of follow that so this is where i think that having that organizational having growing up in the military and before i was a psychiatrist or even a healthcare provider is really that leadership is is that leadership that discipline has to start with you individually and i think that's made me a better physician it's made me a better psychiatrist hopefully made me a better leader you know in uh, in caring for not only my um, community and my patients, but also my staff, right? I mean, I think that if you can't walk that walk, it, it makes it very difficult. And this is why for those leaders, if we can reach out, if we can make sure and and help them, and this leader might be a parent, right? Might be uh, a, a older brother, older sister. We all have an, a leadership kind of aspect. If we can uh, inf- affect and influence one person, well, you, you better be having you know, some kind of leadership skills in that. And then you can actually kind of address not only that stigma in other people, but walk the walk to ask for help when you need it. You're listening to Inside the Military Mind and our guest, Dr. Chuck Weber from the Family Care Center. Some of your efforts while you were on active duty were to bring a lot more of those resources directly to the troops, right? You know, try to get it down to the the bottom level. It used to be, and like you, I joined in the early 90s, and I don't even know where the mental health clinic, I think, was in the the first couple times I was there. Um, But really trying to get the resources to the people that need it, um, when they need it, where they need it. Yes, that 
that uh, delivery of the behavioral health service that, that we call a point of service uh, in in behavioral health was pivotal. Yeah, you're right. I, I actually didn't know where the mental health clinic was as well. And even when I first started becoming a psychiatrist, I think we were always in the World War II, the old hospital or some kind of borrowed trailer, right? I, we were definitely not at the forefront. Uh, the dentist always had a nicer place than what we had. But for the most part, how do you, how do you get that behavioral health care in place? Well, those initiatives uh, kind of started you know, a little bit either before me or actually during me, but they weren't developed. So one of them was called the Embedded Behavioral Health, and uh, and it was just in its infancy. And the the whole premise was to put in the footprint of the brigade to put all the mental health source resources that you needed, at least for that brigade, right? So about 3,000 people or so to have a talk therapist, to have nurse case managers, to have a prescriber, uh, and have the admin support all right there. And, and one of the biggest things, and I think one of the things I really solidified uh, on one of the programs was the community care kind of liaison. And so making sure that, that those high-risk soldiers were always addressed and that we'd start tracking them and also the people that were in inpatient on the outside uh, services. And so to kind of bring all that together definitely was a, a bedrock of saying, well, you know, this is, I think, a best-in-class delivery for behavioral health. Why don't we have this in civilian? I mean, the majority of all mental health on the civilian side and uh, the rest of the nation is delivered by mom and pop, which is great. However, it's not coordinated. Uh, it doesn't have a lines of effort. There's no unity of command. You know, so some of the things that we know about in the military that make a mission successful, and it was just kind of astounding to me, getting out that there we could not have this kind of system in place. You know, and I I did present my plan. You know, to the the powers that be in the military, and uh, you know they were not focusing on that uh, at the time that I was active duty as chief of behavioral health. So. Having those embedded behavioral health was definitely a bedrock on how do I take some of the best places of what the military has taught me and then make it in a best-in-class for delivery of clinical care. Now, we don't have the social work and we don't have the other administrative functions that uh, were, were really pivotal, I think, for uh, having command and control uh, and, and understanding those high-risk soldiers. But definitely the, those elements uh, we definitely capitalized on. And I think that's critical in, in getting the care into the, the neighborhood, essentially getting the care into the community. And much of your military career was focused on mental health and wellness for service members and their families and, and military dependents. And you've expanded that mission after retirement to veterans and their families as well. Why do you think it's important to address the mental health and wellness of the military-affiliated community? Well, I, you know, these are our sons and daughters. I mean, and I, these are my brothers and sisters. I think it is very easy to you know throw and be passionate about something uh, i don't know who said it uh, but when you find something that you love you never go to have, have to go to work right you you just love what you do every day and i think you know caring for my brothers and sisters and their family members it's what i was meant to do and how i do that and how i deliver that i learned a long time ago it didn't have to be just me i could probably lead i could probably get other people that were like-minded or that still love that same mission and bring them together. And, you know, I've been very blessed to have people like yourself to come on board and to, to say, what what can we do? What is my skill set that I can I can help with? And this has gone from not only the therapist, but, I mean, great administrative report, uh, support, you know. It seems like 
our our, our retention rate, even even for admin, is over eighty percent over five years, and it's ninety three percent for providers. I mean, I have been just completely blessed with people that love this mission and love these people, and they're at high risk. We've taken the uh, you know some sometimes you know we don't really do a good job in the MEPS you know as a to do screening, right? So we don't really screen that well even for physical, much less nothing for mental. I, I, I don't remember anything. Maybe they have something now, right? Uh, there might be a screening question. And so we don't know what's actually coming into the military service. And now we're going to take you from your social support. We're going to take you from your where you grew up. We're going to put you with a whole bunch of people you don't know and you're not even sure if you trust yet. And we're all green in the Army, so you can't have any of those kind of other preconceived kind of aspects. So sometimes people struggle with that. Uh, And then, you know, we're going to deploy you. And, and, you know, even if it's a non-combat deployment, you're still taken away and you're put in high stress, long hours. um, And then, of course, there is the war zones. And the things that happen in those war zones – Without that social support, without the cohesion in the unit, I mean, it could all go very badly. And it could still go badly, even with great cohesion. And so, you know, we're doing so much things, at least in the Army, but I think all of our service now are adopting definitely on how we address this to kind of address it quickly and to kind of treat it. So I know before I got out in 2016, more people with PTSD diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder were actually staying in than getting out. I mean, initially, I don't know if you remember, it was like, you know, you had any mental health, there goes your med board. You're, 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 you're chaptered or you're, you're, you're med boarded. And so now we're identifying, we're, we're treating, and uh, we're, we're really trying to, uh, you know, take care of them. And, and yes, the military is as much running away from stuff for a lot of people as it is, you know, running towards something. Uh, and we bring the baggage into the military, what we had from childhood. We're seeing all of these things, adverse childhood experiences, mm-hmm. greater susceptibility for trauma later on. Um, but it's interesting. A lot of people think that PTSD is the thing, but there's a lot more mental health conditions that veterans are dealing with. You alluded to it earlier, just the difficulty in transition, changing from one way right. to another. There's more than just PTSD that a lot of veterans are dealing with. Oh, yeah, easily. And in fact, I, I rarely see anybody with just, you know, just straight PTSD and nothing else is going on, right? I mean, there's uh, depression, anxiety, you know, I mean, some people manifest in eating disorders. I mean, the, the whole slew of our psychiatric con- continuum is, is there because you're right. It is, uh, it's called the kindling effect. I know you, you know this, but for our readers, it's if there was something going on in childhood, it definitely was not addressed, or even if it was addressed or not well enough, throw adverse conditions. Uh, throw a war zone, you know, one deployment, anything, those long hours, take away somebody's sleep, and and you have a mixture for uh, definitely a manifestation of uh, whatever's there in the subconscious, right? And so I I really do believe in the two-hit hypothesis. The two-hit hypothesis states that there is a biological component and then there is an environmental onslaught, right? And so I think that I've actually taken that and, and... Somebody else smarter than me made this, but, you know, there's a biological component, uh, a psychological component, a social component, and then a spiritual component. And I think all of those, uh, you know, are four legs of the chair, and you're going to take a hit on uh, any one of them. It's difficult, but you had a hit on two or more, and you're not going to be able to sit down. 
and it's indefinitely uh, that applies not just to psychological conditions but substance use disorders I mean you're also uh, an expert in substance use and addictions and things like that Um, again understanding that that has a biological component but also has an environmental component as well and anyone who has served or spent any time around people who have served knows that that's also a big issue Oh, yeah. We have a, a lot of what we call functional alcoholics, right? I mean, there are people that are, uh, you know, functional substance users or non-functional substance users. We identify those pretty quickly with the leadership and they manifest. But, uh, you know, if there is a, a problem there, you know, the innovation of uh, humans are, are pretty amazing. Uh, you know, I've seen even in a deployed environment, people have been able to uh, get the things that our general order number one did not allow, right? And that was, in, in a sense, definitely there's no um, substance use like, a, you know, allowed in a, in a war zone. However, you know, you know, given uh, the necessities of the mother invention, one might say. So when those things happen and you couple anything with substance use on any of the mental health disorders that I kind of mentioned, you've definitely lit something up there. I mean, I did the addiction um, board certification as well because I just saw so many comorbidities. So I know we mentioned that with PTSD, but the the substance use uh, is huge. We usually have to address that first, uh, as you know, uh, before we kind of it's very hard to talk about anybody with their PTSD or EMDR or CBT kind of behavioral therapy if, you, if, if you're still abusing substances. You're listening to Inside the Military Mind and our guest, Dr. Chuck Weber from the Family Care Center. And so another condition, obviously, again, going to that physical component, especially now more recently, is traumatic brain injury. Mm. Um, and the brain is the engine that we're trying to use to heal the brain sort of thing. But um, traumatic brain injury, especially in these most current conflicts, is also an exacerbating factor, complicating all of this PTSD, substance use, depression, and things like that. Yeah, and there and the literature is is just kind of all over the place. And you know what we really found out, I think, probably in the last ten to fifteen years, is how much that really is affected, especially the multiple. You know, and and everybody knows, or, or if you don't, then you're you're definitely too young. But like Muhammad Ali, right? I mean, so there is something even dementia pugilista. So we we've known about this in psych and neurology, or just as a physician, uh, you know, for fifty years. To, to not make that leap or to take so long to make that leap that multiple explosive events or heck I don't know how many times have fallen out of a you know a, a armored vehicle or an MRAP or Humvee airplanes uh, or airplanes that's right uh, I'm airborne qualified so are you and yeah there's sometimes uh, those parachute landing falls are, are, are foot uh, butt and head right those are those are not fun times but uh, in general though talk a concussion an IED an explosive kind of event multiple times and you can see a lot of trauma the, the thing is that there's 99% usually gets a little bit better but what if it doesn't we say that but we say that because that's literature is based on like you know kids playing football or well, you know MVAs or motor vehicle accidents and you know yeah most people do get better if they get wrong a little bit it's not continuous, sustained, and other things that have really been, um, uh, you know, I guess at the level of a deployed environment. Yeah, jumping out of a plane. I mean, there's that's your MVA right there. And, you know, uh, I wasn't on the airborne status for that long, more longer as a flight surgeon kind of thing. But uh, definitely, if you have to jump, you know, every month or every six weeks, uh, that's, that's going to be difficult. 
you know. Uh, so yes, traumatic brain injury uh, is huge. And one of the treatments, it's very difficult to treat too. And the VA doesn't like uh, some of the meds that have shown to be the, the, the most efficacious uh, because we use them a little bit off-label. We say off-label is uh, FDA, right? But we do a lot of things uh, not uh, you know, FDA approved yet. Uh, there's a few vaccines out right now that are under emergency use, right? And so we do a lot of things that might have a clinical indication, but they, they might not have that FDA. And, and one of the things is that transcranial magnetic stimulation that we do at Family Care Center. And it has shown, especially when it's EEG directed, I directed on based on somebody's electrical activity, that there are uh, so, such a robust response. However, insurance does not pay for that, right? And so, you know, trying to see, we're not a big cash kind of thing at family care centers. So how do I get this over there? How do I deliver that? Really looking at those grants and things right now. But, you know, if because we're culturally competent, because most of us have served or we're, we've been brats or we've been spouses uh, of the military, I think that we at Family Care Center definitely know and can recognize and we identify those things as confounding uh, factors and we want to address them quickly. Another reason why I wanted med providers, talk therapists, play therapists, I, I wanted the whole package because I know I definitely can't do it by myself. <laughs> And, and I think that's critical to be able to understand that we that there is a level of, of comprehensive care. Uh, you and, and your wife, Dr. Ray Ann Weber, um, also a veteran herself, you started the Family Care Center in 2016, carrying on the mission of several other organizations. You've now grown to five locations in the Pikes Peak region, a goal of future expansion to meet the critical mental health care for the military and veteran population in the community. I'd like to hear more about the Family Care Center itself. You've talked some about it, but really about the organization sure we'll give a little bit i do have to give this premise uh you know if you've listened uh, this is what i've kind of told people because i did make this promise so my wife did get out after a second uh, kid so uh you know i moved her nine times during our time that we've uh, been married and our deal was that she got to pick the last spot and so when i was chief of behavioral health at fort carson colorado she's like colorado springs is the last spot <laughs> Therefore, uh, we started setting up shop here. So it, it, it's an area I love as well, but this is actually my first duty station after um, uh, being enlisted in infantry because I came to the 4th ID. Uh, definitely changed uh, after, you know, 20-some-odd years, right? Uh, but in general, the first thing was, how do I take care of our community? How do I take care of my mission here? And then you, as your eyes open, as I... As I'm kind of leading this organization, it's like, how do I get to these other spots? And some of it was, you know, uh, making sure that I had the insight to know I couldn't do it by myself, bringing other smart people, bringing the therapist, bringing the specialist in that can deal with that, recognizing something that we don't do very well, uh, active duty, rise right, is, you know, we've, we send people to child psychiatry and child training, but we, then we don't let them practice. So taking care of the children, taking care of the whole family and the whole picture was was pivotal and you know we started with a, a couple handful of people right uh back there in 2016 you were there with me and you've, you've been along the road so i appreciate it but so you know having all that one-stop shop and that we can communicate all together we can coordinate care uh, on a clinical sense even if it wasn't like administrative social work was was huge and i think that is how we've gotten such a, a great response from the community, uh, from our patients. And we have uh, like some 
great reviews and uh you know we have uh, i'm, I'm been growing about 25 to 40 percent each year and part of this i think is simply just word of mouth we haven't done uh, a lot of media stuff uh, in fact my marketing guy is always getting on to me that we need to do more media stuff hence while i'm here but uh the 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 biggest kind of portion is our our great service our quality care is which is what i want to focus on is not like a lot of care just given uh, you you know as well but for your listeners uh, you know i, I definitely kind of stopped and we have a, a limit on the the amount of people that uh, patients that the providers can see because i think you can't deliver quality care unless you do that by fo- focusing on these very i think basic elements bringing people together of different skill sets but also with one purpose and one mission this is how i've kind of addressed in this in that first location and it just kind of took off and if uh you know one percent of behavioral health care on an outpatient is delivered like the way that we're doing it at family care center together and when i found out that number i just was astounded so it also was what keeps me up at night is how do I get to the other military organizations? How do I get to those uh, those areas of need, right? And bring these people and scale this up. You know, so I I've been doing it a lot by bootstraps uh, and a lot of discovery learning, as they say. But uh, recently, I kind of found uh, some some partners, local people that believe in our mission, love the military, love our military family members. And uh, they are kind of supporting us. And our, our sense, I, I tell people it's the best thing. It's like a shark tank kind of the people that have already scaled and, and focused on healthcare and behavioral health. And we're, we're building a team to get to those other locations, to, to get around the military uh, posts, uh, bases. I want all of it, right? Yes, even even Navy, even though beat Navy, but I, I, will, I will even take care of Navy people. Uh, that's a joke. I will take care of everybody but also the local community. So I'm trying to kind of balance that on those cities that are like Colorado Springs or even bigger and that are close to a military base and how do I get there? So I'm, I'm of course going to focus on Colorado. We're gonna take care of the front range. We're gonna take care of our Coloradians, but we're also gonna to go to you know Texas, Florida, we're gonna be around Fort Hood, uh, McDill Air Force Base. These are some of the things I'm thinking about right now. And I think the need is there. I mean, we're it's, it's only a, a point of, you know, where do we go first? Right. And and you've mentioned a couple times with family members, right? Um, again, as you and I were on active duty, we were concerned about our soldiers, right? And, yeah. and essentially concerned about the mission. And while there is a component of dependent support while you're uh, in the military, um, we're, you know, you know my son Daniel, he was born one month before 9-11. He's 20, about to turn 21, right? Yeah. Um, and so the children of the service members, the families serve as well. And, and that's something that you've really focused on with the Family Care Center is ensuring that it's not just the service member and the veteran we're supporting, but maybe even the largest part of our support is for the spouses and children of service members. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, when we were at the duty, it was the, the military focuses on the active duty. We take care of the mission, right? And the family members, I'm not saying it's an afterthought, but it, it definitely is not the main mission. And we saw this over and over, whether even before as a provider, I mean, if, if things were going on with your family, if there is a problem with your, your child, problem with your marriage, problem at home, 
financial, how is that person going to be at their A game to focus on the mission? And especially, you know, in a war zone, you want somebody's A game, right? Because it's them, their battle buddy, those are all at risk. And the mission is going to take care of itself. We're, we're, we, we have a great machine for that. But if you're if your world is disintegrating behind the behind the scenes, there's no way you can focus on the mission. So I, I realized this on active duty, but I just could not get the the support that I needed to kind of build the program that I wanted. So I did it, uh, you know, when we got out. And so yeah, Dr. Rain and I, and and everybody can look at our $99 logo. And I kind of took the same business plan and kind of made it right from there. And by taking care, I think, of the family members, uh, definitely the children, the spouses, I, I am helping the mission. I am still adhering to, you know, my oath. I'm still adhering to the things that I have grown up with. And I, I you know, I guess this is what kind of keeps me going each day. But it also keeps me up at night because how do I get to these places fast enough? Mm -hmm. Because I don't think they're going to get the care that they, they definitely need. The communities can't uh, handle it. If your if your listeners didn't know, uh, o only about two to three percent of all med school classes actually go into psychiatry, so we're even underserved there. And the programs for nurse practitioners, uh, for uh, licensed professional counselors, psychologists, they're all underserved. I mean, there's a lot of conglomerates around cities, but it's, we don't have a lot of places that are cities. So. I'll tell you one place. I'm probably not going to go to D.C. There's plenty of uh, you know therapists and psychotherapists and psychiatrists there. I'm going to go to the places that have the need, right? And uh, you know, we've been to some duty stations that are, are are not the jewels of society. And even that, even being in an adverse environment for the family member, is going to be difficult. When they've looked at studies, a, a, a active duty that is a spouse that is deployed it is like there was a a death a divorce i mean the 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 amount of healthcare needs that go on the amount of injuries that go on the amount of substance use all of the statistics that you can look at in a in a divorce or a broken family or in a single parent family i mean that happens you know every time we deploy and we we, we throw these things onto the family members they need our support and and it's even more complicated these days uh, because there are the multiple deployments, right? You know, and, and uh, again, my own history, there wasn't a year between 2006 and 2013 where I wasn't gone for all or part of the year. Having that separation, but it's almost like breaking and rebonding and breaking and rebonding, and, and that can cause stress for the service member, for the and ultimately the veteran as it carries throughout their life, but especially the family. Oh, easily. And we have something, you know, you were, uh, you know, supporting with the special forces. And so, yeah, you guys deployed a lot more often. And we see in that community, that's a huge need. We've kind of made it very a priority, not only for Fort Carson, Peterson, and the Air Force Academy um, in Buckley, but to try to take care of the local community. But we've made a very special bond with like the 10th uh, Special Forces unit here. And I think that, you know, there's been such a huge need because of what you're saying, that rapid deployment. Those rupture and repair, the honeymoon period, that we kind of in the in the straight laid army that we might actually get and we got another year before our deployment uh, if we're lucky right um, but with the sf you don't get to the honeymoon period it never gets to that that rupture part before you're gone again even if, let's just say it's two weeks right i mean uh, and this is where it doesn't have to always be a combat deployment i mean you guys are training up 
so often uh, that it's it is like there is a huge sense of abandonment for our our family members and our kids definitely won't be able to vocalize it depending on the age uh, or you know despite the age that might actually happen and then of course the the spouses i mean it has been um just a, a whirlwind of of need and how do i uh, how do i get there i mean this is why uh, we're, we're Actually, the biggest thing is not trying to get patients. We're trying to, you know, find competent, culturally competent uh, providers that uh, love the military, love our community, and 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 really want to go forward on this mission. I mean, this seems to be like my main mission right now is to get the people to deliver the care because the need is so great. And I think, and you've mentioned it again a couple times here, how critical it is now with COVID and all the isolation. Uh, but you've also talked about the comprehensive nature of, of what we do. And I think that's really one of the things that's unique with us. It's not just therapy, right? It's not just three or four or seven or 10 therapists. It's not just medication management, um, but you have a number of different evidence-based mental health services. Why do you think this kind of comprehensive behavioral health service has been effective? And what are some of the things that are provided by the Family Care Center? Yeah, well, there's a, a, a litany of the Family Care Center of what we have from you know, uh, licensed professional counselors, social workers, psychologists, registered play therapists, psychiatrists, nurse practitioners, uh, physician's assistants, uh, the transcranial magnetic stimulation. I think that, and even our sister services with the nonprofit and other sister services uh, with uh, uh, diligence anesthesia for ketamine, uh, another uh, veteran-owned organ organization. I think having all of these in, 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 a, in a local kind of area I've been able to then address because what we see is if we can identify. If you were a, a mom and pop and somebody might be a brilliant you know, counselor, but if you know you can't get to that next stage unless the patient is sleeping, you're gonna need some meds. How do you get there? Well, there's a, a huge line. I mean, we're, we've got a, a wait list in the general population, but once you're part of Family Care Center, we can easily kind of get things in uh, much, much quicker. I think for med management, uh, definitely if you're already a patient, uh, you know, it's within a week. I mean, in some places, you, you gotta wait six weeks to six months, depending on where you're at uh, for that medication management. Because I don't think that you can, get to that next stage on some therapy unless you just have the basics so we call it maslow's hierarchy of needs right <laughs> we're not going to be able to talk about um you know a trauma and work through that process if you can't get something as simple as sleep or if you're having multiple panic attacks during the day there's there is a lot of techniques that you all do that can really really help but sometimes you're going to need the meds what if their tbi is so difficult that they can't even concentrate in order to do cognitive behavioral therapy or cognitive processing therapy or emdr well let's get those symptoms under control and then we can kind of get you to that next stage and when you're when i've kind of created this thing with the family care center that we're all looking for those other things too, you know, because we know we have the resources here. And I think we're up to 55 providers around there. Actually, two or more, 57 providers now. So when you have something with a registered play therapist and is talking to the parents and they're noticing the parents are having difficulty, hey, maybe we can kind of help you out here. Or, or if the therapist notices that they can't sleep, let's get you back in. And definitely some people, I only want meds, okay? Well, then we're in meds and we really identify, hey, there's only so much I can do. Let's get you to that next stage and get you through the therapy so we can actually put you in true remission. 
we have that here at the Family Care Center. And of course, when there are some people with major depressive disorder or obsessive compulsive disorder, which are the two indications for transcranial magnetic stimulation, uh, there has been a much higher robust rate, especially in major depression, uh, that we can put people in uh, remission. The studies show anywhere from 50 to 70 percent response rate and we are definitely at that higher end i think uh, most recent was like 68 percent that we can actually put major depressive disorder in remission but i still think to sustain it we need to have therapy we need to make sure and engage and do the hard work uh, we're not going to uh, get through this with just one thing but at least all the hard workers are all in one spot right. you know? and that's one thing i've always valued about your vision about this comprehensive nature um, the way I describe it to my clients is sometimes medications can smooth the water, but then therapy can help you navigate so that when the medication goes away, um, that you know how to navigate those choppy waters. Mm, um, but you also don't say that medication is the end-all be-all because we don't expect somebody to be on these medications for the rest of their lives, that you believe that therapy is also an integral part of that growth and ultimate remission. Uh, yeah, exactly. And even why I even in, investigated the TMS, I got trained in a, a, like electroconvulsive therapy, and it has its place too. But very invasive, lots of side effects. Uh, I still believe it works. And, and when it's clinically indicated, we have sent a few people there. But transcranial magnetic stimulation was non-invasive. It's an outpatient only. Um, and, you know, it has none of the side effects of uh, electroconvulsive therapy. But once again, it simmers down the waters, and right now it's only really FDA for major depressive disorder. We do a lot of non-FDA, and like I mentioned, the EEG-directed um, for um, you know traumatic brain injury is the literature is, is really off the charts. It's pretty awesome. I hope that that indication comes soon, but it is just one data point. I, I really do, and I have been a, a huge believer that we have to have kind of that therapy in there. And even that should be time limited. I, I get on even our providers or, or even our patients like, you know, to be in therapy for three to five years, unless you're working on different things, where's the treatment plan? There has to be an end to that. And even that with meds. Now, if there's something like schizophrenia or bipolar that, you know, uh, you know, some of those are lifetime meds, but it's just like diabetes, right? We're chronic disease managers. So we, we can do that and we will do that. Not everybody has to there's no hard, fast rule. We're going to make things individual and specific for that patient. But I do want a little, you know, um, due diligence and a little bit of insight to know, hey, we let's let's make sure that we're doing right by the patient and and not just sustaining something that doesn't need to happen. One of the things that you've brought to the community, um, really, that has been, I think, really beneficial is that transcranial magnetic stimulation. Um, you've talked about it a little bit, but maybe you can give a little bit more of an explanation about what that is. Um, and, and honestly, I've seen it, but how beneficial it can be. Yeah, I mean, for, you know, major, well, just in general, transcranial magnetic stimulation, it is, as I said, a non-invasive approach. It takes advantage of... Uh, Maxwell and Faraday's law, right? Maxwell's equation, Faraday's law, which is a magnetic current creates an electric charge. So instead of ECT putting electrical charge through a, a hemisphere or, or through a whole portion of your brain, I'm going to direct it like a sniper, right? Um, and I was not a sniper, but uh, um, uh, that being said, I am a sniper for neuroanatomy. <laughs> so the, the way to do that is we are a neurochemical machine in our head. 
and this is where the meds work, but the meds work through a chemical induced way in order to increase electricity. When they've done therapy, the therapy is actually shown to have neuroplasticity, which is kind of creating new pathways. Think of like a, a, a stroke victim that, yes, that part of the brain is dead, but you know, with rehabilitation, speech therapy, occupational therapy, we can redirect and rewire. Well, therapy has shown in functional MRIs that it actually kind of finds and reroutes through that. That is where the augmentation of TMS is is amazing, is that we're going to not only boost the neuroplasticity, boost the electricity in the area that it's not working, but definitely hope to solidify those long-term effects. And, you know, it's uh, and, the, and the biggest side effect really is a headache first couple sessions, and there's a very, very rare chance of a seizure that, you know, we've never caused at Family Care Center because I follow a protocol that was made by someone smarter than me. And when this happens with the with the TMS, I think that it opens the world to, you know, then engage into therapy. And really, the, on that 68-ish percent, there is a majority of those people that have at least, if they haven't gotten off their meds, which is a lower percentage, everybody wants that, right? But definitely lower doses, lower meds, those are all wins. Better life, being able to engage in therapy or make it time-limited and then sustain it, right? Uh, some of the studies show come back in six months to a year for a booster, but now doing this for five years um, for the TMS, there's people I never see again in a, in a good way, and then there's people that maybe have to come in for a booster in two to three years. So it's uh, it's just been an amazing technology, and I think right now Britain and, and Europe are kind of leading the ways for the non-FDA uh, things. Their equivalent is called CE, I think, um, you know, certified for Europe, and that FDA equivalent does have a lot of indications for PTSD, panic disorder, uh, anxiety, uh, even ADHD, not so robust. Actually, the, the place I think that we struggle with TMS right now, at least in the literature, is um, substance use, but it's being investigated. There's very, very smart people that are kind of going through that, and some of the substance use is responding with the EEG-directed so another area that I'm, I want to focus on evidence base that's all we do at Family Care Center, making sure that there is evidence there, but and that we're doing right by the patient, but that we're actually making a, a difference. So I don't want to do something. In fact, I talked to a patient just yesterday. Yeah, that it looked like thing, things were going well, but the, on the TMS, but the clinical indications weren't there. In other words, they weren't um, stating that anything was better. Well, then we shouldn't do this. Or you know, or we, you know, do it a little bit more or we, you know, we cut it off at, at, at a certain amount. But those are always discussions between the, the provider and, and the patient. You know, I, I again, having seen it personally, I, I think it is a very effective intervention, um, again, as, as a critical part of all of this comprehensive behavioral health. Dr. Weber, thank you for joining us on the show today. Any last thoughts? No, just I really appreciate your time. I appreciate uh, this venue um, because I have a face for radio, so I love this. Um, <laughs> and I, I really do, uh, you know, we, we love this community, and, you know, I, I love our our local community, but our, our vets and our family members, are, we're coming. We're coming to take care of you. Uh, please call us. I know right now there's a little bit of a wait list, but we are hiring, but we're only hiring the you know, good, competent, uh, you know, people that love our population. So definitely if anybody is thinking about making a transition to a organization with benefits and, and a great work environment, then, uh, you know, please consider Family Care Center.
Thanks so much, Dwayne. I'm glad to have been able to share Dr. Weber's thoughts on the mission and focus of the Family Care Center and the goal of improving mental health and wellness for service members, veterans, and their families in the community we call home. On today's Homefront Military Network resource segment, I'm glad to share a Homefront Military Network partner that takes care of some of the youngest members of the military-affiliated community, CPCD. CPCD gives children a head start, prepares them for success in school and life by providing excellent, comprehensive early childhood services in partnership with diverse families and the community. Founded in 1987, CPCD was spun off from Catholic Charities to manage the Head Start program in El Paso County. At that time, they were funded to serve 300 children. Now they reach nearly six times that many through Early Head Start for prenatal moms through age three, Head Start for preschoolers three to five, and the Colorado Preschool Program for preschoolers four years of age. Today, CPCD, formerly known as the Community Partnership for Child Development, operates more than 60 classrooms in school districts 2, 3, 8, 11, 20, and 49. They're honored to have a standalone facility on Fort Carson with six classrooms. Military families account for 25% of their program participants. CPCD served more than 270 families identifying as either veteran or active duty for the school year 2020 to 2021. In addition to education, CPCD provides health, behavioral health, transportation, nutrition, home visits, and family services. Families are offered parenting classes, health and wellness education, referrals, and support in accessing community and military services. CPCD currently employs approximately 360 staff members, including teachers, family advocates, nurses, bus drivers, and administrative and support staff. They also partner with Early Connections Learning Centers and 10 family child care homes to serve 1,800 families with children ages 0 to 5 who are living in limited income households, have special needs, or are experiencing other difficult circumstances that could challenge their readiness for kindergarten. CPCD's early childhood education programs create the foundation for lifelong learning. From the time a child is born, the brain is alive with no neurological connections and synaptic development. 90% of a child's brain develops before the age of 5. When the brain of the little one is exposed to multiple risk factors such as poverty, low maternal education, and numerous deployments, their brain development slows and their educational foundation becomes fragile. CPCD offers tuition-free, high-quality early childhood education that has an immediate impact on a children's life. Many studies have shown that children who receive early childhood education are less likely to repeat a grade and more likely to have better school readiness, self-esteem, and achievement motivation. Through their early Head Start, Head Start, and Colorado Preschool programs, CPCD provides comprehensive early childhood care and education services for pregnant women and children birth through age 5. While early childhood education is a center of everything that CPCD does, their programs extend to parents with parenting classes, nutrition workshops, financial literacy seminars, and so much more. Family advocates are trained in the unique needs of military families and can help navigate family needs to resources and goals to success. When a child enrolls in CPCD, so does her family. All of CPCD's programs serve to enhance the development of children while providing parents with the tools that they need to be their child's first and best teacher. Furthermore, CPCD's full comprehensive programming also includes health screenings, behavioral health support, and special needs therapists. CPCD primarily uses the creative curriculum. Teachers use developmentally appropriate practices to teach social-emotional skills, literacy and language skills, cognitive skills, and physical skills. Children have a play-based experience focused on their specific developmental needs. All children, regardless of ability, are included in the classroom. Parents and families can apply for CPCD's program on their website, 
cpcdheadstart.org and click on the I am a parent bubble. Enroll now and complete the pre-application. Families that cannot complete the pre-application online can request a hard copy by calling CPCD at 719-635-1536. Community organizations can refer families to CPCD by completing the enrollment referral form. This is the fastest way to connect families to the organization. Families can also refer themselves. To complete the enrollment referral form, please go to the CPCD website and click on the CPCD logo in the top center. After the pre-application referral form is submitted, one of the enrollment technicians will reach out to the family to answer any questions they might have and help them complete the pre-application virtually. CPCD does not distinguish between families with documented legal status and those without it. CPCD serves children only based on need. If you have any questions about enrollment, please call CPCD at 719-635-1536 or email enrollnow at cpcd.org. Currently, CPCD is offering two learning models, in-person and virtual learning. The in-person model, classroom learning, allows students to return to school in person with modifications to the learning environment. The classroom staff will follow procedures to allow for social distancing where applicable and regular sanitations to meet El Paso County Health and CDC guidelines. The virtual learning model will enable families to receive support through a new virtual program called Ready Rosie, along with regularly scheduled virtual meetings to stay connected to the classroom. In response to the COVID-19 pandemic, CPCD has been working to clean and disinfect, gather needed supplies, and make new rules for daily operations to have the best classroom environment possible for all children and staff. Their procedures follow the guidelines by the El Paso County Department of Health, Licensing, and the Center for Disease Control. You can learn more about their COVID precautions on their website, cpcdheadstart.org. CPCD's mission is simple. Start early, build the little one's brain, and engage parents towards success. CPCD is enrolling now for fall. Don't wait to enroll your children. Space is limited. And remember, this community resource is brought to you by the Homefront Military Network. The mission of the Homefront Military Network is to connect military service members, veterans, and their families to resources offered by trusted community partners and to provide emergency financial assistance. You can find more about what they do at homefrontmilitarynetwork.org. So thanks for taking the time to listen to the show. It would be great to hear your feedback. I'd like to answer any questions you may have or know what you would like to hear about. What topics about military and veteran mental health are you interested in? Send us an email at militarymind at fccsprings.com and there's a chance that we'll discuss it on an upcoming show. I'd also like to remind you that the information provided on this show is for informational purposes only. While I am a licensed mental health professional, I am not your licensed mental health professional. If what we discussed in the show brings up any concerns for you, it is highly recommended that you consult with a licensed mental health professional. Stay tuned for another great show next week. And until then, remember, you're not alone, ever. Family Care Center is a comprehensive outpatient behavioral health clinic providing critical mental health support to service members, veterans, family members, and our local community. Family Care Center focuses on the mental health and wellness of those who have served our country's military by providing best in-class evidence-based therapy, medication management, and transcranial magnetic stimulation. Family Care Center's clinical staff is dedicated to meeting every client's outpatient behavioral health care needs. This is Dr. Chuck Weber, inviting you to learn more at fcsprings.com. Family Care Center, our family caring for your family. You've been listening to Inside the Military Mind. 
addressing mental health and wellness for service members, veterans, and their families. Sponsored by Family Care Center, Behavioral Health Services. Our family caring for your family. FCSprings.com. Tune in every Saturday at 11 a.m. for Inside the Military Mind on KPPF. And listen to the Companion Podcast on Podbean. Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military, but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.